You're listening to the Elevate Your Brand podcast, where we talk to some of the smartest entrepreneurs and fastest growing brands on the market today. I'm your host, Laurel Mintz, a reformed corporate M&A attorney who founded award-winning LA-based marketing agency, Elevate My Brand. We've elevated some of the world's biggest brands from Facebook, Paw Patrol, and Verizon to innovative startups you haven't even heard of yet. Are you ready to elevate your brand? Keep listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Elevate Your Brand. I, of course, am your host, Laurel Mintz, and I'm so excited to be joined today by Shrunkla Polachek, who is the founder and CEO of Uma Oils. Shrunkla, thank you for joining us today. Laurel, thank you for having me. Very exciting to be here. So uh, Ayurvedic tradition has really taken um, a step into mainstream in the last few years, but you were one of the first to really bring it to um, to main consumers. Can you share with us a little bit about your story and background? Certainly. So uh, one of the reasons why I felt that Uma could bring something of value and Uma being our Ayurvedic brand, uh, immersed in Ayurveda in every sense possible and created from it, was uh, when I first moved to the United States, uh, I did see um, a plethora of things uh, that related to Ayurveda. There were some misappropriations in that there was uh there were fantastical offers about its powers being made to the people that really were looking for cures. And it mm, wasn't... More snake oily. Exactly. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and it really was uh, something that was being touted as something mystical, magical, miraculous, rather than the practical, very founded in science and experience that... Uh, Ayurveda as a lifestyle medicine choice is. There was also a certain lack of education around Ayurveda that bothered me in the sense that Ayurveda was very generously shared with the world without patents and uh, trademarks. And it's a science that doesn't hide behind walls or paywalls to uh, for people to access and benefit from. So taking an approach of Ayurveda only through product is a little bit antithetical to its nature because it is very much a science that cures you from within by changing how you approach life and how you live life every day. So as one creates products using and leveraging the benefits of Ayurveda, it was also important to educate people on Ayurveda completely non-transactionally, completely non-commercially, because that's what you were trusted with when you were taught the science of Ayurveda completely mm-hmm. free of cost. And all that was asked was you invest time and intelligence and practice into it. So that was the second thing about just seeing some Ayurvedic products without commenting on their efficacy, without uh, bringing people into the life of Ayurveda that I found uh, a little bit um, half-assed, for lack of a better <laughs> word, and it was my friend there. And those were the reasons that led 
me to try and create with UMA an ecosystem of education, learning, as well as a product to luxuriate with if you decided to indulge in it. To me, products have always served uh, their own space where they are an indulgence, a luxury, something that, uh, that you can do when you don't want to whip something up in your kitchen, not so much a necessity and, oh, you must buy this and you must buy that. Ayurveda is not that science. So that was the ecosystem I wanted to create with Uma because it was much like the ecosystem I had grown up with at home. And uh, that's how we are here, I suppose. Well, it's such an amazing product. I mean, the, everything from the formulation to the scents, I mean, to the, even the packaging, so beautiful. But I love what you said about it's it's really like a it's a, a cohesive universe, right? Ayurvedic is not just one thing. It has to be a holistic practice. And it's a very unique perspective that you bring to the table, which is that most people come to creating, it's very commercialized, right? That they go directly to that. They want to monetize but the education, the commitment to the the base of the uh, of the, the Ayurvedic therapy, that's really the perspective that you come to building this company from. And I think that authenticity really throws, shows through in the brand. Um, and then, like you said, having the the products as a as a luxury item, if and when you need it, it's a very unique perspective. So I just want to say thank you for um, for the education piece, because I do think that that comes first, especially in a tradition that is so many thousands of years old and that really needs to be honored. Indeed, and it definitely will be something that supercharges not just your use of our products, any product really, because it is such a thoughtful, cerebral, mindful approach to life and how you do things whether it's putting them on you or putting them in your body, what time you wake up, what you do first thing after you wake up. It really is uh, very, very profound in how it helps you approach life and glean all of life's beauties and benefits uh, and your body's beauty and benefits in Mm -hmm. a rich, profound way. I mean, I, I feel calmer and more centered just talking to you. I know that sounds odd, but it's so clear that you live and breathe this, um, this method and this way of life truly. Um, but you did create an amazing commercial brand as well. So we have to talk a little bit about your most recent win, which is that you were listed on Oprah's favorite things. How did that feel? That's like the be all end all for a brand. <laughs> it, it was incredibly exhilarating at the same time, kind of nerve wracking because you realize that there is activity around it that you must build to be able to, well, showcase to the world why you deserve to be on this list. So there's pressure uh, pressure on you. There's a spotlight. You need to be making sure that your core values by which you build your brand and, you know, run a company are uh, visible to people and marketed to people in the the appropriate way. So the brand lives up to the title it it has been called out for in Oprah's uh, favorite things because she is very thoughtful about the brands she selects. It's about the product and has to look and feel a certain way and perform a certain way, but it also goes a little bit into 
the individuality of the brand and how purpose-driven the brand might be. So there was definitely planning around all of that, but also all the operational and logistical support that uh, that goes around uh, creating something like this was we had to rewire packaging in a very big way. We had to work with our suppliers to create boxes that could carry these three pound bottles because they're rich hand-blown bottles with, you know, four ounces of oil in each. So it's uh, not an easy feat transporting them from one part of the country to the other. So we rewired a lot of these things to, um, to do them also in a way that was environmentally sensitive. We've always uh, been mindful of uh, the impact we leave behind, whether mm-hmm. it is through shipping or creation of a product. And in doing all of that, there was a lot of work, but it was exciting because it was taking us back to some of the brass stacks of building a new brand. And mm-hmm. as we come up to five years, um, I've done less of that, in, especially in the last two years. So it was exciting to go back there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a couple of things to, to, to talk about with that. One is, you know, everyone wants to be on the list, but you also have to be ready to be on that list, right? Or in, on any list, like PR, they say no, no press is bad press, but it's really um, good press. And Oprah's favorite things, of course, is great press. Has, you have to be prepared in terms of shipping and all the products and making sure that, like you said, you can live up to the brand values and the brand promises in a real way. So it definitely adds a little added pressure, but, um, but isn't pressure what makes diamonds, right? <laughs> well said. Um, and then the other piece that you mentioned was, um, was making sure that you could ship it appropriately across the country. I mean, I I think a lot of early stage brands, especially they get really excited about these types of opportunities. And then when they can't deliver for, for example, like a big box retailer, it's a really, it can be really damaging to a brand as well. So I love that you called out that while it is an exciting thing, it does add a lot of added pressure to any brand. Certainly Laurel. And every thing along the supply chain needs to be considered. For instance, mm-hmm. I have had to jump on customer service support, which I do all the time, happily, but uh, I am just trying to underscore that team sizes sort of feel pressured and thinned out when you suddenly have this visibility because it's not just customers. It's people who want to know about your brand. They have questions about how long does this last? What does it really smell like? Because suddenly there's all this visibility. So you have to be prepared to serve up a version of your company that you want the world to see. And it is in normal times, but is in a suddenly abnormal time because people are so constrained capacity-wise. Mm. So those are these are all things that um, any brand owner should be aware of, and of course, be willing to roll up sleeves and dive into the nitty gritty as as needed. Absolutely. We're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Splendid Spoon. Treat yourself to healthy, nutritious plant-based meals. At Splendid Spoon, they truly believe that plant-based eating is the single most effective tool that we all have to feel our best day in and day out. Their plans are designed to help us all create easy and healthy eating habits. And I'll tell you, I've been eating them for the last few weeks and my skin's better, I'm sleeping better, and I have more energy. Go to SplendidSpoon.com EMB to save $35 on your first Splendid delivery. And of course, follow them at Splendid Spoon on Facebook or Instagram for more meals and deals. 
Thanks for sticking with us. And if you were just tuning in, I am chatting with uh, Shrankla Holichek, who is the founder and CEO of Uma Oils. Before the break, we were talking a bit about your major PR hit of Oprah's favorite things and how exciting and nerve wracking that can be. What other tips and tricks and like going back in time, because you've been at this for five years, you're really in scale mode right now, which is very, very exciting and where most brands want to be. But going back in time, what are some of the lessons learned along the way that you'd love to share with our audience? I think... Believing in oneself takes a little bit of practice and uh, believing in oneself has multiple facets, which is I came from a world where feedback was was everything. McKinsey is a consulting firm where we learn from each other every day in a very supercharged way. Mm -hmm. And we valued feedback in a very, very big way. You were constantly given it, you were giving it. However, as I moved into the role of an entrepreneur and a CEO, I started to realize that there are times when you must know when to not take feedback. And Mm. even if it may be well-meaning, if it is... uh, orthogonal to what you are setting out to build it mean you you're the person who will know what is right for your brand and sometimes you will have to do the non-best practice thing of turning down feedback because it may not be right an example of it was I sat down with the beauty buyer of a very very big department store um the head beauty buyer the the uh, the department store isn't around uh, any longer, but uh, there were there were a couple of flags that came up in um, in that conversation about the very fundamental ethos of Puma, such as mm. the use of uh, glass bottles in packaging. At the time, there was a lot of plastic being used for cosmetics packaging, and uh, there was a lot of concern expressed by her. Oh glass will not fly you know uh, in a on a counter uh, that uh, a vanity situation women only want to see plastic uh, that won't work that was very painful to hear because i did not believe that uma could live in a plastic bottle not just sure. because of uh, how environmentally unfriendly it is but the our pristine formulas and oils are best uh lived in uh um in glass bottles where they would not interact with uh any of the components of the plastic and so on and the second thing was i did get feedback on sort of some of the ethnic feeling um scents and aromas of the brand and huh. that was the also things that make you uniquely you <laughs> Indeed. And, you know, it was a bitter pill to swallow because I do realize we don't smell like a Chanel. We don't smell like a Dior. But that is what makes the richness of sandalwood or rose or jasmine really light people's hearts up with joy Mm -hmm. because aromatherapeutically they work with the brain to actually... um, trigger your joy sensor. So this mm-hmm. is how a product works. And this was a, an, a co- conversation that I had leaned into several personal networks to try and secure. And I came back from it pretty beaten up because I felt that I would have to review everything about everything and whether I could do any of this at all. And I mulled over it. And then 
the next day I just chose to discard it altogether. And to me, that was sort of like my first turning point in terms of, you know, I was used to five, six years building decks and advice based on expertise. And this was like the mega expert, but this was a time I was building something innovative and new. And I knew this was not time to take that advice and that I had to trust my intuition, which is sort of the second thing, which is related to knowing not when not to take feedback. But really, uh, a lot of us every day have stopped hearing our gut Mm-hmm. And our intuition, whether it is about our health, whether it, whether it is about a fad diet, I think our bodies and our minds know. And similarly, our bodies and minds know what um, is truly going to work versus not, uh, yeah. as opposed to someone who has maybe, you know, looked at your brand for 20 minutes and is doing their best giving you advice. But oftentimes I have found that I have just known in the bottom of my heart uh, about how something's going to play out and leaning into that intuition has always served me well. Um, A few things along the way that were told to me and I did not glom onto them quickly enough, but have learned to is uh, finding the right support infrastructure where you will not be able to do everything. So find the right people who excel at um, at their um, areas of expertise and lean in to uh, enabling them to do their jobs well. That's what will make you run uh, rather than sort of come out at a fast, brisk walk space <laughs> uh, when Love building that. a company. Uh, those are sort of three things that come to mind uh, immediately. Obviously, you know, um, there are things about uh, uh, questions around choosing to take funding. And I think it's a very, very uh, tough poignant question every founder must ponder because growth very often comes with a huge expenditure of money, especially in today's environment where- Especially in consumer. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just, people are just exposed to so much that to be discovered, to be remembered. You just have to constantly invest in in that journey. And it's not easy to do it as a bootstrap brand, which we still are. But there were unique reasons uh, about Uma that sort of forced our hand to stay in the cadence that we have. And also we have some advantages, like I have a captive supplier in my family in terms of <laughs> in terms of oil. No, they have mm-hmm. not raised prices on me when everyone else has, you know, let, let's say a glass supplier has raised prices by 30, 50, 70%. Like carriers are charging right. a lot more. But there are u- unique advantages of working with my family and also carrying a heritage that goes back seven, eight, nine hundred years. It is sometimes worrisome to to think about some compromises I may need to make if we were funded. But um, the funding conversation and uh, and discussion slash decision 
is not one to be taken lightly. And I do believe when the time is right and when you need it, uh, fundraise. Yeah, absolutely. Well, also the fact that uh, women-run companies get like less than 10% of funding out there and women who are of diverse backgrounds, even less so. So I think that you are pushing as hard and fast as you can with what you have. And that ultimately will give you a a better valuation, hopefully in the company in the long run. So when you do, if you do decide to go out and fundraise, you'll be worth a lot more and they'll have to pay you a lot more to get into the company. And I love that (laughs) for you. Laurel, I think you touched on something that, um, Uh, bears repeating because maybe I should admit to myself uh, that uh, perhaps it felt daunting because I knew the figures. Mm. I knew that uh, uh, being a woman, a woman of color, a foreign origin, um, perhaps I was trying to protect myself early on, Mm. knowing that it would be, you know, it's it's always brutal to peddle your wares, but especially brutal <laughs> uh, given uh, given the statistics. And it's it oh, it merits repeating and re-repeating that as women, a we have to break out of this internal fear mm-hmm. if it exists, and second, be willing and in fact committed to investing in women. That is yeah. how we will build a virtuous ecosystem of women-funded billion-dollar businesses. And that's how we will also get wealthier as women. Let's not, you know, investments, wise investing is what makes uh, millionaires billionaires. And I think, you know, both in terms of the risk appetite and investing in each other, women uh, should make that a priority. I couldn't agree with you more. We are actually LPs in Jesse Draper's fund and she commits to really investing in women. And she says investing women is not a charity. Women make uh, better decisions when we have a diverse board uh, with a lot of women on it. Uh, Revenues for companies tend to be higher. So this is not a charity. This is a good investment opportunity. And I think that we're going to continue to see funds that invest primarily in women and diverse led fund uh, founders. So I think the future is brighter. Hopefully we can continue that, that growth trajectory. Um, In the meantime, we'll take a really quick break. We'll be right back. Enjoying the episode? I certainly hope so, but we have no way to know unless you tell us. After this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice and let us know what you love and what you want to hear next. This podcast is all about you and how else are we going to elevate your brand unless you talk to us? All right, chatting with uh, Shrankla Holacek, who is the CEO and founder of Uma Oils. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, like best practices for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. And you said gut checking is one of the most important pieces, not listening to everyone's feedback all the time, which I totally agree with. Um, and then we started talking a little bit about the entrepreneurial journey on the fundraising side. And you were very honest and transparent with us about your fears around that as a woman and as a woman of color, which I think was really honest and and, and um Authentic. So thank you for that. Uh, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about the marketing of the brand and the the look and feel because the packaging is so beautiful and the name Uma. So tell us, first of all, where does Uma come from? And then share with us a little bit about your marketing story. So it it is interesting that the two in the end turned out to be related. Uma was my aunt's name. She was my mother's older sister, and she was very instrumental in helping raise my sister and I. So my parents uh, who are in 
thick farmland in India are in a very rural part of the country because it's all farms around them. And uh, my mother, from a young age, uh, always wanted her children to be, for lack of a better word, cosmopolitan, in that wanted us to grow up speaking English, wanting us to know the ways of the world, how to use a fork and knife, things like that. And that type of education just was not available in um, in the little town my parents are in. So going into boarding school, which both my sister and I did when uh, we were around nine or 10, uh, we spent four or five years with my aunt who would take us to school every day and uh, basically get us uh, learning languages, learning you know, fundamental mathematics and physics that would qualify us to go into the boarding school that my sister and I eventually went to. And she was deeply, deeply committed to us. I mean, it it just still it makes my head swim thinking about how selflessly she just dedicated her life to first raising her younger siblings. Their father had passed when they were very young and my mother was still in high school. So I think my aunt chose not to get married and take care of her uh, younger siblings and then went on to also support her siblings' kids um, and how she did it in such a selfless manner. But what I learned from her was uh, this true sense of self, one that I'm not even close to being at, but she really (laughs) knew who she was, Mm -hmm. conducted herself with so much poise, dignity, confidence, and not in the traditional trite sense uh, of, you know, she wasn't dressed to the nines and all of those things, but she just had this personality of calm and uh, understanding of self, never uh, wore makeup in any of the days I saw her and yet exuded this radiance. So in a long-winded way, uh, when I came around to starting a company, I think we went through 200 names. And I will <laughs> say that one of the things that was kept going through my mind was, you know, we want the company to have modern appeal. We don't mm-hmm. want it to be pigeonholed as something Indian, Indian, Indian that isn't right for someone who isn't, uh, you know, burning sage every day and is immersed. <laughs> it is for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I was nervous that a name like Uma that came to me first was a little Indian and therefore, you know, was making an Indian thing more Indian. And I kept resisting it, but I kept coming back to it. And, you know, after two weeks of like focus groups and everything, I think my gut just said Uma. And we went, okay, Uma it is then. Let's do it. I love it. (laughs) And uh, so it was was to commemorate her and hope, I suppose, in some way that her spirit of self lives and selflessness lives on through the brand. And the second thing uh, about the packaging was, uh, was interesting because I could not have in any uh, world that I came from imagined that packaging matters so much to people. Mm. I yep, really, like my, <laughs> my conscious brain, which was all data and all of those things at that time was like a good product should work coming out of 
you know, just a plain bottle. Why, why is this happening? However, it was just a journey I started going down. And as I went deeper into it, I found myself more and more uh, uh, perfectionist, for lack of a better word, uh, mm. about it. I went to China and Taiwan about four times in that year. Oh, wow. Uh, because I wanted to inspect factories. I wanted to know that they were producing glass ethically, which is one of the reasons why we choose to produce in Taiwan, even though our costs are much higher, but they have some very sound uh, human rights principles in place when it comes to uh, their work. And the government is very strongly across uh, uh, rules and regulation when it comes to Taiwan and what factories can do, who they can employ, the conditions people live in. But um, it was something that evolved and evolved. We first hired an Indian design firm. We felt like where they were going was a little bit too uh, um, uh, in the Indian sphere. We hired an American firm and then we felt like everything was turning out a little bit like a Chanel or a Scandinavian brand with black and white and very luxury, but losing its Indian roots and authenticity, such as completely devoid of color. So eventually, we, my sister ended up doing the line drawings uh, from our farms of uh, the stuff, we, the flowers and the herbs we produce. And we went with a Spanish design firm to actually bring it all to life on glass. <laughs> so it was quite the journey. And wow, it was yeah. my first uh, uh First letting go of control moment. After that, I have had many, many, many in our five-year <laughs> journey. <laughs> I will just say that. But I was adamant that packaging should be, uh, you know, a snooze. It should just, it should just be so easy to do. Snooze is probably not the right word, but, uh, uh, but it should just be ready in a day. And it took us a really long time. It took us about a year. You live and you learn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Marketing is yeah. marketing's very challenging. I think people uh, understand that it's important, but they under, don't understand the commitment it takes on things like packaging and messaging and all of the branding work and all that exciting stuff, which I think is the, frankly, the fun part of building a brand. And look, you got to an amazing end place. The brand is absolutely stunning. The packaging is absolutely stunning. And on that note, I know you have some exciting Black Friday holiday stuff coming up. Will you share with us uh, what people can keep an eye out for? Um, certainly. So Uma, just because of the company we are, we don't run sales often. We do run a very high cost of goods. Everything is 100% organic. And the ingredients that go into our organic products are very, very high end. Like you're talking about rose oil, jasmine oil, sandalwood oil. If you try to buy them on the market, you'll, you'll realize that buying a bottle of Uma is actually cheaper than buying it on Amazon, which is why, and you know, we pay above market wages. We run the only hospital in the community we live in. So we have a high commit, uh, commitment base uh, to what we do and how we do it, which is why our ability to mark stuff down often is not one, but every year we do run one sale around Black Friday where you can get 20 to 25% off all our products. So I do wanna call that out because a lot of people um, go ahead and try Uma around that time because 
let's be honest, a lot of our best-selling product is $175 face oil. And people are like, well, what if it doesn't work? And this is a good time to try something like that. And fortunately, we have found that we have over a 67% re- repurchase rate running back four years. I mean, at this point, customers of are- Of course, like- you know the numbers. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so make sure you check them out, umaoils.com. The last thing I want to close on, since we're out of time, I do want to make sure that we call out the social imp- impact that you have and how important that is to the brand. So if you could just share with us a bit about the gender equality part of your core values and, and what you're doing in the community in terms of your uh, ecological footprint, it's really important. Mm-hmm. Of course. And Laurel, you touched on you know sound business practices earlier and not charity. And I feel like I need to call out how investing in the people you work in is not charitable. It is just the smartest business decision you will make because a lot of people that work on our farm have worked with us for generations just like we have. And money cannot buy that kind of generational expertise that the sheer loyalty of these workforces brings to us. And the reason why we've been able to do it is we've been mindful of what our community needs, such as the closest hospital is about two and a half hours of a bus ride away. We Over the years, we found that women as caretakers of the family, the child felt sick, were taking days off to go there you know, living in a hospital floor just to get their child treated. And we just found things like vaccination, things like um, getting the child care early on when she or he first develops a a fever or even, you know, um, adults in the town will really help. But there wasn't a hospital. So we invested in building the hospital. It's a small hospital, has doctors and a few nurses, but it has completely changed uh, healthcare in our little community where we have our farms and factories because they have something to go to when they first catch uh, the you know an ailment similarly we find that in india women don't have the option of leaving their child with someone men don't want to take on that responsibility it's we're still not at that level of gender evolution uh, in people's minds so It was necessary that if we wanted to employ more than 50% women, that we had to build a childcare facility. We had to cater lunches on uh, property so that women didn't have to spend hours making lunch in the morning for their families. So these are all things that we invest in infrastructure, including scholarship for their children, so that people can understand and believe that Uma and basically my father's um, business is very much a family and one that one they can fall back on. And when you're working for family, you feel, unless it's Succession, the HBO show, <laughs> you feel that much more invested in everything you do. So it's just, you know, building the ecosystem that you want, you would want to be part of as a human being, I think is important for every business to think about in at some point in their life cycle even if it's not coming out the gate, I feel privileged that I had that on my shoulders coming out the gate because I don't know if I would have had the wisdom to uh, have that foresight. But now that I've been in it and I understand it, it's just very, very important. It is extremely important. You have built such an amazing brand that really stands for 
for so many important values. The brand itself speaks for the quality and the luxury and all of that. But to the prior part of this conversation, you know, you really are uh, giving back to your community. And I, I wanted to make sure that we called that out before we wrap things up. Shrankla, thank you so much for joining us today and for bringing your beautiful products and education and all of these, uh, you know, historical Ayurvedic tradition to, to all of us here at Elevate. So thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, Laurel, for not only giving me the opportunity, but, you know, building such an incredible platform and being such a cheerleader for entrepreneurship, women, and so many lessons that all of us need to learn every day as we grow and, you know, stake our claim in the world. So thank you for all that you do within that space. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you to all who tuned in. Stay tuned for more from Elevate Your Brand coming up next.